Matilda Bernstein Sycamore is the award-winning author of a memoir and three novels, and the editor of five nonfiction anthologies. Her memoir, The End of San Francisco, won a Lambda Literary Award, and her previous book, Why Are Faggots So Afraid of Faggots, was an American Library Association Stonewall Honor Book. Sketchedacy is the name of her newest book, which just came out this fall. In Shelf Awareness, reviewer David Wheeler wrote, If you've ever heard her read, you know Sycamore's voice is one in a zillion. She's at her very best in Sketchedacy. And I concur, Matilda's voice is one in a zillion. To me, that's what, in some ways, what a, a really important book can do. Like, it brings you into yourself, emotionally. And that doesn't mean that it has to be your own experience or even similar experience, but it allows you to feel more deeply in the present. I think, I mean, I think that was part of reading queer books was like, I wanted to feel my own self. I'm Gail Marie, host and creator of The Spine, the only podcast where writers talk about their reading lives and only their reading lives. Thank you for listening. Let's get right to my conversation with Matilda Bernstein Sycamore. I like to start at the very beginning of your reading life, as far back as you want to go. Some folks start at the beginning when they were um, just a child. Some people start in in kind of grade school when they get to, you know, start picking their own books versus their parents picking them for them. It's kind of up to you when you want to start talking about how you became a reader. Uh, So I started reading very, very young. Um, I can't remember how young, but I know... It was young enough that I I taught my sister how to read, um, I think, around when she was two or three. And so I would have been, you know, two years older than that um, and already ready to teach someone how to read. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So and I really think uh, I don't remember. I do remember some children's books, but I don't remember them having like a huge impact on me. Um, I mean, I remember liking The Velveteen Rabbit. Okay. and I remember the questions, you know, what is real, uh, said the, I don't know if I'm getting the quote right, but something like in horse to the, to the rabbit one day. And so that question about what is real, that yes. really struck me. Um, and I remember, you know, some picture books, mostly through the pictures and through my grandmother reading them to me. And she, she was a visual artist. And so she was really enthralled by the pictures themselves. Um, so I remember those, but the, the earliest memory of reading on my own really was, um, probably started around, I mean, I was like a voracious reader. So I would basically read anything I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. So I would start, let's say, I think my parents probably bought me the Hardy Boys, the first <laughs> yes. one or you know, something in that series. And then I just read the whole series, you know, and I really wanted to read the Nancy Drews, but I. I wasn't, you know, supposed to because I was supposed to be a boy. Yeah. So when my sister wasn't reading them, I would like sneak, especially once they were all downstairs, which meant they'd already been read. Um, I would like sneak down there and read those. Um, <sighs> I think the first book I really I remember making a huge impact on me was Watership Down. Oh. Um, and I found that book because it was the longest book at the um, book fair. And this was like the elementary school book fair, probably like first through eighth grade. And maybe it was like marked for, you know, on the higher side of that. And because it was the longest book, that was what drew, because I was like, I'm going to read the longest book in this book fair. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I read that book 
and I really, really loved the idea that there was a secret world that was all rabbits. Um, and I think as a child, like I felt really suffocated and I wanted to get away. And so reading became my way of escaping. Mm -hmm. So escaping the violence that was going on in the house where I grew up, you know, escaping um, school where I was teased and taunted um, for being, you know, uh, like a faggot and a sissy and and also for being smart. And I remember Watership Town, there were some rabbits outside of the house where I grew up. We would only see them occasionally, but I would see them in this huge um, spruce tree. And so I read this book, which is like a whole world of rabbits, right? Mm -hmm. And and I was so enthralled by like, I really, in some ways, believed it because I really empathized with animals. Mm -hmm. And I saw them in some ways like myself. Um, I don't know if I would see them. Like they were little creatures that need protection, right? And I didn't know, I didn't realize maybe that I needed protection, but I wanted to protect other creatures that were smaller than me. And Watership Down, though, they, you know, they have like incredibly detailed, like internal um, thought process. I think there are wars. I don't remember it that well, but I remember, I really remember um, visualizing this whole, these whole cities of rabbits, mm-hmm. um, you know, underneath this spruce tree and in the bushes. Um, so that was probably the first book that I can remember, you know, that had a really big impact. That was, I can't remember exactly when I read it, but I want to say like fourth grade or fifth grade maybe. And then I remember, I don't know who, you know, some of these books, of course, were suggested by adults. Someone must have, they brought me an Agatha Christie book. Mm-hmm. And, and I think... I can't remember which detective it was either Hercule Poirot or, or Miss Marple or, you know, someone, but whoever it was, I was like, Oh my God. And I read all of them, the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I read, I don't think I read them in order, but I just read them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and after that, Oh, and then I think I read John like Hooray. Um, and there might've been a few other detective things. But in sixth grade, I got really ambitious and I would go to the bookstore. Um, I would go to the classic section and whatever I thought was like the most important classic. I don't know how I decided. <laughs> maybe there was some influence from my father or maybe it was just something I knew I had heard of or if it was big. That was important, too. Uh-huh. So I remember um, in sixth grade, I read War and Peace, for example. Oh, my. Um, <laughs> And War and Peace also, so War and Peace, I loved because of how elaborate it was. Mm -hmm. So the more that I could, more elaborate the book, the more I could escape. Um, And also, I really liked uh, the themes of social justice and, you know, sort of, again, I don't remember, because that's the only time I read War and Peace, I don't remember it that well. But I do remember, like, I became obsessed with Russian names, for example, because at the beginning, you know, they have that whole um, family tree, you know, and it sort of traces, you know, each. So then you're reading the book and you're like, OK, wait, who's Alyosha? Let me go back mm-hmm. and look that up. Um, and around that same time, we got cats for the first time. And so I was really wanted to name the cats after characters in War and Peace. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I succeeded. One cat was named Sonia. 
the other one was Morris, unfortunately. But um, uh-huh. but I um, I think I wanted them to have last names. So you know, like whatever the last name was for more in peace, I wanted the cats to you know sure. have the first and last names. Um, but so I loved, yeah, I loved War and Peace. And I remember actually my teacher in sixth grade, I remember her like having, she was someone I loved. I, at that point in my life, I really loved teachers mm-hmm. because kids would just tease me and taunt me. And teachers, I felt like I could relate to more, like I was talking to someone because, you know, they like books. Sure. <laughs> and they were interested in me because I was, you know, excelling, you know, and, um, and this teacher, who was one of my favorites, though, she had a meeting with my parents where she told them that she was worried that I was missing out on my childhood. Oh. Um, and she meant because I was reading these books. And I mean, it's interesting to look back on that because I feel like what the teacher should have been worrying was what's going on that's traumatic at home that's making that happen. Yeah. Uh, but instead, she was just worrying that I was reading the wrong things and so she asked my mother to read me young adult books. Um, and oh, actually, I, and I had some, you know, I'd read like the Madeline Langle series and, you know, that kind of, those kinds of books. Um, but I was like appalled. I was complete. I was like, I don't want to, I'm not, I can't have story time. <laughs> but no. we started doing, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I would be appalled too. What a strange, <laughs> what a strange reaction from a teacher for so I many know, right? reasons. Especially from someone you felt like you could, you know, that uh, understood you a bit better than than others. And then she was like, um, listen, <laughs> you need to read to your kid and, and, and in middle school. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. So um, so she started. I, I just said, oh, OK, whatever. So she started reading. Um, I don't remember the book, actually. She read something to me. And at first I was just like. This is horrible. But then I think probably because I didn't really have that much of a relationship with her, I ended up kind of liking it. And I don't know. I don't think that went on that long, maybe just that year. But that was one experience. The next books that I remember, I remember in seventh grade, I really loved uh, Budenbrooks by Thomas Mann. Okay. Um, and that, again, it, was a, it has a similar structure, at least in my mind at the time, to War and Peace. It's like a lesser known Thomas Mann, but I, I tried to read Magic Mountain, but I didn't like it at that time. Mm. Um, and, but I, but Budenbrooks has a similar, you know, it has the same thing with like an elaborate family tree um, and all of these like complicated, um, like a complicated plot structure, but it also it felt like it's a family in ruin. Maybe mm-hmm. that was also something that appealed to me mm-hmm. about books because they're about families that are in ruin. I don't know if I would have known. I know I did, actually. At that point, I knew I did know that that was true in my own family. And let me see. Yeah, I just I would go to the classics because um, I think I thought I had to read classics because those were it was supposed to be the most important books. Yeah. So I read all of Steinbeck. I read all of Hemingway. Um, now, by the end of, of high school, the book, book I feel like had the most impact on me um, was... The I'm trying to I think it's called yeah the Age of Reason by yeah. Jean Paul Sartre yeah that was because it was all about freedom the whole there's a trilogy I believe if I remember correctly um, and the whole at least you know again in my time reading it then 
it was all about being trapped. How do you create freedom? Um, and is there is does it is that even possible, right? And so I was obsessed with this idea because that's how I felt. I felt trapped, you know, in a kind of, you know, I was an overachiever, kind of like high school student. I felt like in order to get away, I had to beat my parents on their own terms. Um, but there was no happiness in it. It was just, um, yeah, in order to escape. That's what I thought. At right. least. Eventually I learned, oh, I need to reject those terms entirely. Uh, but I, like about a year after leaving, I mean, going to college and doing all that, then I was like, yeah, I need to get the hell out of this. Um, but at the time, yeah, so this, that trilogy by Sartre, um, that really impacted me. Uh, and, and also I, I was, um, I, ne I never read the whole book, but I read little parts of, um, I was also, I was very into, I didn't read Sartre in French. Well, I read, I read um, No Exit in French. Um but I didn't read that trilogy, but I did read some of this book by Edmond Jabez called the book of questions. Oh, And that's a very like, well, part also because I was reading it in French, which is, you know, not my first language. I didn't speak fluently, but it's like everything circles around itself. And I remember being really like intrigued by the, the words on the page are speaking to one another. It's a dialogue. Everything is, yeah, has that dialogue, structure of a dialogue. Yes. Um, so yeah, those are the books. Then, okay, so then I would say the most impactful book in my life, for sure, was about a year after that. So I went to went to college, you know, the whole thing, you know, a quotation mark, better college than, you know, anyone in my family had ever gone, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. At first, I felt like totally liberated. But then I, I just noticed all of the hypocrisy. Um, and I realized I was... I was learning to become my parents rather than learning to overcome. And I decided, well, I have to leave here. I mean, there's a whole long story, but the short version is I realized I had to leave in order to learn from really what, what I wanted to learn, which was direct action activism uh, from queers, from outsiders, from outcasts, from freaks, from people on the fringes. And so I, I left school and I moved to San Francisco when I was 19. Oh, man. And I did find those people I found you know and I also you know one of the things that happened when I moved shortly after moving um was that I, that I was sexually abused by my father mm. and I hadn't I had shut that out entirely I had decided you know somewhere around 12 or 13 I realized that I hated my parents and I didn't have respect for them and that in my mind they would never play a role in my life again mm -hmm. um but I didn't realize the reason, everything about why. I realized other, you know, my father was always enraged. He's like screaming at all times. Everything was about, you know, placating his rage. And, and my mother was silent and also complicit. And I think the books that I found then, which when it was also when I was finding, you know, myself as, you know, creating like, like trying to create my own runes of what was around me. Yeah. So you know, a queer culture, a radical culture, an outsider culture. And I found myself really in a world, I didn't know this when I met these people, but it was slowly, one by one, we realized also we were all incest survivors, most mm. of us. And so the books that I found them, and also um, in San Francisco, in the worlds that I was in, you know, people would, we would exchange books to get to know one another almost. Ah. Um, like someone would be reading a book and they'd be like, oh my God, have you read... You know, like I remember Dorothy Allison, you know, it was really big. And of course, um, 
Bastard of Carolina, you know, is about being an incest survivor. And I think that was probably the first book, I mean, definitely the first book, well, that literally named it, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a very important book. And some of the other books I discovered then were also like Sapphire's American Dreams. That was also, also because, you know, I was making a living um, as a hooker and so other work by people who did sex work. And and that book is about, in part, about, um, you know, being a sex worker in that same time period or actually earlier. Um, And I remember actually um, Shereen Moraga's The Lost Generation. Uh, Is that what it's called? The Lost? Last generation i think that was um i think what would now be called intersectional analysis i didn't have that word for it then but that you know it, it engaged in that and that felt kind of breathtaking for me um but i think that the book that spoke to me most deeply and has i would say in my entire life probably i mean for sure mm-hmm. was and is um close to the knives by david warnerovich and what it was, actually, you know, I read about him um, in an obituary. Well, it wasn't an obituary, but it was written right after he died and in 1992. And the first book they mentioned was Memories That Smell Like Gasoline, which had just come out then. And that book, I picked it up, and I think I wasn't ready for it. It's, um, it's a small book, and uh, there are a lot of drawings... Um, very, uh, let's say, I would say kind of, you know, consciously crude, right? Yeah. Like rudimentary. And I think at that time, I wasn't, I was like, is this art? You know, I had those, those, those ridiculous questions sort of in my head. Like, I don't know about this. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. So I kind of put it aside. But then I read Close to the Knives. Um, and, and this was his memoir. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Um, they're both pretty much memoirs. What struck me about it was it just felt like the first time that I had felt my rage in print. Mm -hmm. Um, and also a sense of maybe a little bit of hope in a world of loss. Um, so this is the early nineties, you know, and everywhere around me, it felt like, uh, People were dying of AIDS or drug addiction or suicide. And I felt like that book, which is is speaking to a slightly earlier period, um, but it really reflected my reality. And I and especially that rage, I think. But it, he was also, you know, abused by his father really brutally. Um, you know, he left home at a very young age. Um, he was also a sex worker. And I think another part of the book that really struck me was the way he talks about sex in everyday experience. Mm -hmm. So sex is part of breathing. It's part of the landscape. It's part of taking the subway. It's part of going to the park. And that liberated me um, can be part of everyday experience. To me, you know, that felt like, oh, this is what it means to be queer for me. And also it felt like, oh, this is, this is what I'm already connected to. You know, I just didn't know how to like let go of the shame and make it into something else. Mm-hmm. And I think he gave me a window into thinking about, it. I guess I'd already thought about that way. What his books allow for 
and also I think my life, perhaps, <laughs> and, you know, an embodied experience of being queer also means bringing sex and sexuality, you know, out of the bedroom and into all these other realms, um, you know, when it seems appealing or possible or liberatory. Then after that one, I went, went back to Memories of Smelly Gasoline. And Memories of Smelly Gasoline, that's what it's centrally about, is cruising for sex. How did you find him? Oh, I found him. I read, I was actually in the Bay Area Reporter, which is the gay paper in San Francisco. And it was an article right after he died. Okay. Uh, talking about his life. And that was right when Memories of Smell Like Gasoline, which came out after he died, was okay. published. So I read that and I was like, oh, you know, like, what? who is this person? Okay. Considering your life and reading experiences up until you moved to San Francisco at age 19 and then met this group of people um, who also lived through, not through books, but because of and with, and it was just part of a, is even just part of their daily conversations and exchanging books. And what kind of effect did that have on you personally? To f did you feel like you found your people? Oh, absolutely. At that time period, yeah, 19, 20, 21, I definitely, like everything was a conversation, you know, like, and the whole goal of living in the world was to build our own culture and create relationships that were not predicated on everything that we grew up with and, and to constantly be challenging, like everything. And I felt like, and books were really a part of that. And I think for me, it was really liberatory and intoxicating. And, uh, and also at the same time, I feel like almost immediately, you know, I experienced like the same uh, kind of heartbreak and um, systemic failure among those relationships um, that I had in the larger world. So I think it was a very raw time mm -hmm. and it was a very like it is where all of my politics were formed. Um, and I also feel like it was a, a different model because most of us. I would say, if not all of us at that particular time had either not gone to college, had or perhaps run away, you know, in high school, um, or had maybe gone to college briefly and then left. And so we were educating ourselves, you mm -hmm. know, we were teaching ourselves, we were taking care of one another or trying to, and we were also trying to create, you know, different models of living with and taking care of and loving and lusting for another that were not based on everything that had hurt us. Interesting. Do you remember, is there a particular book um, that, you know, kind of took you out of that time and into the next part of your life? Oh, that's interesting. Um, let me think. I think I was really just any, because I had, you know, growing up, you know, no one had ever shown me any queer books yeah. um, that I knew of, you know. And they certainly, if they were queer, well, you know, they would they would never have mentioned it. Like, I remember reading these books actually in high school, James Jones. And, and it's, it's, a trill, or it's a series of books about war, basically. And they're very, very critical of war. But they're also, like, super sexualized in a very straight way. And I remember reading them almost like porn in a certain way. And I didn't, I felt, like, guilty about it because they were very like misogynist, they were racist. 
But later I realized, oh, they're act- that he's critiquing that. And he was gay. But I mean, I didn't know that. And I think that's why the descriptions appealed to me because they were actually gay. <laughs> right. They were about straight sex, but they were about the men and they were sexualizing the men. And even the way they were talking to one another, it was, it was, it was camouflaged by racism and misogyny, but what it was was intimacy, you know? And, um, so yeah, but when I, once I, yeah, moved to San Francisco, I was kind of like in search of just any queer book and also like older queer books too. Like I remember reading these much older books, most of which I don't think I, I can't say like as works of literature, they moved me, Mm -hmm. but I wanted that history, you know, in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also, yeah, any book by someone writing about AIDS, like I wanted to read. Yeah, David Wonorovich might've been the first one. There was also um, David Feinberg, Queer and Loathing. Uh, That book, he's enraged. It's a very different kind of book because it has like a humorous tone. Um, But I think the rage also spoke to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And also the sense, yeah, of kind of struggling against death, which felt so present in that time. Um, and then Rebecca Brown's The Gifts of the Body, which came out in 1995. Um, and it's about a, a caretaker taking care of people dying of AIDS. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually read it as nonfiction. It's, it's a novel, but I didn't realize that. <laughs> <sighs> I had read some of her early books, but I felt like this book, it was as if AIDS had changed her writing. And it became more more pared down and direct. And it had a different kind of sensibility. It was very journalistic. And um, so I read it as nonfiction. Yeah, that I think is is a really gorgeous. And it's interesting. So my new novel, Sketch to See, which takes place in 1995, uh, the narrator reads The Gifts of the Body, which came out in 1995. Uh And she's a 21-year-old queen enduring trauma, but without perhaps a way to actually um, feel her own traumatization. Well, no, she feels her own traumatization, but it's more like in order to survive, she has to shut off to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And she reads Gifts of the Body and it opens her up into her own experience. Like she can feel more through that than she can feel in everyday experience. Mm -hmm. And I think to me, that's what, in some ways, what a, a really important book can do. Like, it brings you into yourself emotionally. And that doesn't mean that it has to be your own experience or even similar own experience, mm-hmm. but it allows you to feel more deeply in the present. So as a child, I really wanted to escape the present. Um, but as an adult, I want, I think, I mean, I think that was part of, reading queer books was like, I wanted to feel my own self. Right. Um, And even if it's, you know, not literally my own self. Yeah. Another book I read around that time, maybe a little, maybe a little earlier was um, Robert Gluck, Jack the Modernist. Mm -hmm. That book, I would say um, stylistically, it probably like impacted me. It's one of the books that impacted me the most on a, stylistic level because it's kind of you know it's um I, I would say all of Robert Gluck's books in a way are about obsession and 
the obsession changes the language. It changes the feeling. It changes the structure. It changes the experience of living with the, in the world. So I feel like that was a very liberatory book for me um, stylistically. And, and it, yeah, and it, it's totally sexually saturated. And, and it was set in San Francisco. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that was probably a book I discovered in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, has really, oh, and also, okay, so another person who I started reading in the early 90s, um, Sarah Schulman, mm-hmm. I started reading um, the first book of hers I read was My American History. And that's journalistic accounts that's similar, you know, about um, that time period. Well, 80s and 90s. Maybe it goes, I can't, I think it was mostly 80s and 90s. And um, I think I became, so yeah, she's a writer that I've read, you know, for a long time. And I think one thing that's been really interesting to watch the trajectory of her work um, is, well, over the last, like, maybe, I'm trying to, now I'm thinking, how many years has it been? A whole series of books that I feel like they all, one leads to the next, and they're nonfiction books. Well, some of them are fiction, but the ones I'm thinking of, started with Stage Struck, uh, which yes. is writing about how uh, Rent, you know, the famous play, mm-hmm. uh, stole the plot of her novel, People in Trouble, and changed the hero to a straight person, and then made billions. <laughs> right. And that book, so that book, and then, you know, she has one called, uh, uh, I think the next one that I'm thinking of, I mean, I'm calling them a series, but they're not literally a series. Sure. Is Talks That Bind, Familial Homophobia and Its Consequences, and then there's Gentrification of the Mind. Um, I feel like what, what she's doing in these books is she's kind of interpolating, like, a lot of the things that have been and central to to like my analysis and also my politics and activism, she is like looking at them with a personal and a structural lens at the same time. So especially gentrification, um, homogenization, assimilation, um, all of that, that is very central to those books. Um, and also like her own political development. Like a, a constant, not a political development that starts, you know, in one place and ends somewhere. It's like a consciously always changing. So another example, another book after those is Israel, Palestine and the Queer Imagination. Mm-hmm. And she, in that book, she writes about how she, as a Jew, was willfully ignorant about the violence of the Israeli occupation. And this is until 2011. I believe the book is or somewhere around them yep and you know she's um so at that time you know she'd be in her 50s and it was and it's in a way it's so brutally honest because here she's saying she had willfully obscured like the obvious truth Mm -hmm. and to me that's that's really brave writing when you can you can actually claim not only your where your analysis takes you but also where your analysis fails and i think i I think actually I would say that I'm really drawn to works like that because I feel like like the queer worlds that I've always believed in have really failed me. Uh, and to me, that's what we need to get past. And so I think I'm drawn to works that talk about that failure uh, because I think the works that ignore the failure, in my opinion, continue the violence. Some of the books on the list that you sent me um, before we spoke, 
are weren't actually named necessarily, just like um, uh, autobiographies of like sixties and seventies radicals. Um, when did you read those? Was that kind of that like nineteen to twenty one year um, segment where you were really trying to get to know? You know, instead of like you know using books to escape, you were using books to like dig into who you are and and your your history. Yeah, I think I read those about a decade later. Okay. Um, uh, really kind of developed. So I was in ACT UP in the early 90s. And um, that was very formative for me, like as a queer activist. Mm -hmm. um, especially in like acting racism, classism, misogyny, homophobia. And then uh, in the late 90s, I was in a group called Fed Up Queers. And uh, the early 2000s, late 90s to, to mid 2000s, a group called Gay Shame. All of those groups were about you know, radical queer challenges to the status quo. So that being both straight normalcy and gay assimilation. And, and I think at that, I think it was around that time period, like in the, yeah, the early 2000s, I think when I was really drawn to reading all these radical autobiographies. So like Angela Davis's, Asada Shakur's, mm -hmm. um, Lane Brown, uh, Jane Ward. Uh, Bill Ayers, um, uh, H. Rep. Brown, um, and and I, I really wanted to read about other people's successes and failures in activism. Mm -hmm. I, there is there is a limitation, I think, to some of those books. I think they're all kind of fascinating, but I think a lot of them they echo one another. The analysis. Like, I think that time period, these are especially autobiographies of the 60s, 60s mm -hmm. and 70s, and, or, or speaking back to that time. And these, most of their analysis is kind of in a, a kind of doctrinaire um, socialist analysis, which is very different than my analysis has been. It's not a non-hierarchical analysis at all, for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, and so some of the, I think when they just are trying to articulate politics, they become very repetitive. <laughs> and they're, they're talking about, you know, like a really weird gossipy story or re when they really tear someone apart. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, actually, there's a great line. Roxanne Dumbortiz, she has this book called Outlaw, uh, Outlaw Woman. And it's about, you know, her time in the feminist movement in the 70s. And she has this line where... Oh, I know what it was. Gloria Steinem said that Henry Kissinger was a really fine fellow. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's all you need to know about Gloria Steinem. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like Henry Kissinger, like the architect of, you know, permanent war, um, you know, is is a fine fellow. <laughs> and all those books, somewhere in them, most of them, somewhere in them, they have these these little, they're almost like parentheticals, right? They're not what the book is about, but they tell you, because they're memoir and because they're personal, they like offer you something that just knowing the history doesn't offer you. Mm -hmm. Yep. That personal touch you said, which is kind of what you were drawn to in Sarah Shulman's writing as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the combination of the personal and the structural, definitely. Yeah. When did you read walking toward whiteness? Oh, working toward whiteness. I think I read that. Whenever it came out, so <laughs> I can't remember. Um, but I'm going to say in the that could also be early 2000s. Okay. Um, and 
that book, actually, what I really like about that is it talks about how, um, like, you know, white ethnic groups, um, or, well, they wouldn't have originally been called white, right? So, like, Italian-American, Jewish, um, you know, et cetera, how all these immigrants, you know, moving to the U.S. who were persecuted, like, how they became part of the status quo by becoming white, right? So assimilating into that privilege instead of becoming, like, creating um, Mm. solidarity or or changing the power. Mm-hmm. So to me, that book is very, I hadn't, uh, when I read it, like I don't, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe it was late nineties. I'm not sure exactly, but I, I kind of knew that history, but I didn't, I didn't know clearly it, it had, it had worked. And I think it spoke to me a lot because a lot of my work is about gay assimilation mm-hmm. and the violence of that. So, you know, rejecting like everything that makes, um, you know, just rejecting all kinds of radical alternatives to straight normalcy in favor of like anything that marks straight privilege and calling that progress. So gay marriage, gays in the military, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, right? And then simultaneously shutting everyone else out. And so that book spoke to me, you know, in a different way, like talking about all these, you know, now considered white ethnic groups who had kind of followed a similar, stru- a similar narrative. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that I think that that was how that book impacted me. It sort of infused my analysis in a broader way. Mm-hmm. We're talking a lot about nonfiction. What sorts of fiction books were you reading at that time, if any? Or were you having trouble finding fiction that told the kind of stories that you needed to, to hear? Well, Robert Gluck, Rebecca Brown, um, Jody Bellamy, um, those are all fiction. Okay. And I... And actually, David Wonorovich, even though it's called memoir, I read it as fiction. Um, right. And so um, so I think the books that have spoke speak to me, in fact, you know, probably one of the first books that was really impactful for me stylistically um, was Lissa McLaughlin, Troubled by His Complexion. Okay. And it's in second person. Um, I remember just like being liberated by the second person. So I think the book fiction that speaks to me is usually fiction that's challenging form. Yeah, and, and so is sort of bringing personal experience into it, but in order to basically challenge the way we see the world so we can create a more yeah. nuanced and uh, complicated way of seeing the world, if that yes. makes sense. <laughs> it totally does. I think that's one of the, one of the main benefits of, there are lots of benefits of reading, but if if we're willing to read things that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable or make us ask questions that we wouldn't have known to ask had we not read a book and, you know, made our way from cover to cover, um, I mean, that's, we come out of that reading experience changed somehow, open to new ideas or willing, like I said, you know, having asked, um, a question we wouldn't have asked before and therefore looking for an answer. And I, one of the reasons I like having these conversations and want to keep putting them out there is because I feel like this books do this in a way that other types of aren't, um, don't necessarily do. And that we are becoming the type of people who don't want to set aside the time and our, the attention to do it as often and I just feel like your story, your reading story is like 
is that over and over and over and over again, where you're just like Mm -hmm. grappling with ideas and ways of living and new questions and new answers. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. No, I agree entirely. And I think in terms of fiction, I really think that the work that challenges that. So in nonfiction, I think they're different. I mean, they're different kinds of nonfiction, but in sort of, um, Nonfiction that's more, uh, I would guess, like non-memoir nonfiction, like often can actually be kind of hard to read, even though I get a lot from it. But I feel, and memoir, I think, is a really easy thing to read, um, if it's a good memoir. Yes. But I think both of those, and then then I think also conventional novels, they all have a very kind of defined structure that it's supposed to follow. And I think the work that speaks to me the most is the work that refuses those roles, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of builds something else. Um, Like, actually, I'm thinking about, you know, Claudia Rankin's work. Yes, um, yes. Where she very clearly claims poetry. Um, Her work, but her, you know, her most famous book, Citizen, I would say, you know, it could very easily have been published as an essay, um, and it is written, you know, more or less in the style of an essay. Yes. And but she chose, and I think also someone who was, um, you know, would be trying to fit her into a marketing category would have called it an essay. And she's like, no, this is poetry. And she, but she created this work that then blew up, right? It became yes. this huge thing that like poetry had never been on the bestseller list since I don't know when, but decades, right? Yes. And here it was on the bestseller list. And she did that by refusing form, refusing the roles and and also creating a work that's very much about, you know, structural racism and how it impacts, um, you know, people personally in everyday experience. Yeah. And in order to unlearn that and unmake that, she, I think, is trying to create, you know, a form that also uh, doesn't replicate it the same um, kind of narrative closure that I think is required. I think, you know, most writers were told we have to have that kind of closure. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's another thing that the work that speaks to me the most, like resists that closure. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, Matilda. It was wonderful to hear your voice and um, sort of, sort of get to know you a little bit. I know it's, um, Sometimes the conversations can get personal when you talk about a reader reader's reading life. Um, so I appreciate you sharing it with me and, and the listeners of The Spine. Oh, I absolutely loved it. It was such a great conversation. That was Matilda Bernstein-Sycamore, the author of most recently Sketch to See, described as an urgent, glittering, devastating novel about the perils of queer world making in the mid-1990s. To see a list of all of the books and writers Matilda mentions during our conversation, as well as links to all of her books, head to the show notes section of thespineshow.com and click on episode 18. I'm Gail Marie. Thank you for listening. Keep reading and let it shape how you think, love, and live.